Welcome back. We go back to a question, and this question is starting to echo off the walls, may I say. What do we do about China? And have we turned a blind eye to China's aggression in so many ways, even to the monitoring and surveillance of Chinese citizens in our country? As we hear stories and know that China is trying to keep tabs on those people in our country. Well, here's another angle of that. There is evidence that there are what they're terming Chinese police stations in this country. Places where China operates, is it an interview room, an interrogation room, but they are all over the world, and some have been found in Canada. Jonathan Berkshire Miller is joining us, Director and Senior Fellow of the Indo-Pacific Program at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Good evening, Jonathan. Uh, good evening, Arlene. Thanks for having me. Did this investigative piece, um, did it surprise you all over the world and three, they believe, in Canada? I think the, the, the fact that China had these posts uh, is not a massive surprise. Uh, I think what did surprise me, and I think, um, you know, especially has caught a lot of politicians off guard in the West, is the, uh, the depth and the nature uh, of these posts. So I, I forget how many, but over 50 um, in the Western countries, including uh, in Europe and the United States and in Canada. So just the depth uh, of offices, frankly, um, in addition to everything else that you mentioned on the onset with the, the challenges that we're facing with China, doesn't bode well. Um, and I think doesn't uh, jive well with our legal system, um, which does not allow extrajudicial um, police offices like this outside of the formal channels. No, I mean, they're not calling them uh, police stations, but it is a physical place where they're hauling people in and they're questioning them. You were just mentioning the law. Is it this international law or this is our law? What are the violations here technically? Well, I think it could be a violation of our own uh, law. And I think so. There are legal mechanisms for China to conduct some sort of police uh, operations within Canada, but there's very strict rules about that. So, um, for example, at embassies, and this would be the same at our embassies overseas in several different countries, we could have what we would call a police liaison officer or, you know, from our perspective, RCMP officer serving overseas in certain missions that would work uh, on uh, operations of joint interest um, uh, in those countries. So that is a legal mechanism. And China does have the ability, as long as, um, uh, you know, it's approved by our side, uh, in order to have a police liaison officer in uh, nestled within their embassy. Um, what is not legal, however, is for them to have um, outside of those uh, premises and outside of that sort of diplomatic immunity understanding uh, to have police, of police uh, officers and, and offices um, operating uh, and effectively without any sort of uh, guidelines. Um, or oversight from uh, the law enforcement uh, capabilities here in Canada. So that's the, I think, the big issue. It's not the fact that China has uh, police uh, engagement with Canada. I think there are legal ways to do that, but it's it's the framework in which it's being done and the lack of oversight and transparency that I think has has caught um, the Canadians off guard. And frankly, not just the Canadians. As I mentioned on the onset, um, the Netherlands, for example, is, is opening up serious discussions about uh, police offices in their country. Um, I think this report that was released has been a wake-up call for a lot of Western democracies. 
And it, it, as you said, it was on our radar and it was hard to, to handle. Here we are in Canada. You know, have we turned a blind eye to the infusion of these kind of Chinese things in, in our country and the surveillance of Chinese citizens too, the intimidation? All of that is against everything we stand for. And most Canadians will say, hey, if you come to this country, you should be free. Yeah, absolutely. And I think an important point to to note, too, is that often this intimidation is not just of, you know, what the Chinese would frame as Chinese citizens, but actually of Canadian citizens, too, or Canadian permanent residents. Um, uh, you know, China recognize, recognizes many, especially with Chinese origin, effectively as Chinese, um, and especially if they have uh, Chinese family members uh, back home, they can leverage those connections uh, in order to procure certain things from, from uh, Chinese overseas that they feel, whether they're you know, enemies of the regime or whether they accuse them of, of, of crimes, you know, without any due process, they can uh, apply that pressure. So I think it's important, you know, not, not just should this behavior be unacceptable for anyone um, within the guidelines of our own country, but many of these are actually Canadian citizens uh, or Canadian permanent residents that have connections and ties to China. So that adds another layer of, of uh, duplicitousness uh, when, when referring to these cases. What can we do about it? And what are we? We know this is has come up, and it recently came up in Ottawa at the beginning of the month. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about China. I don't have to uh, say that to you, but do we do things about China? Well, I think there's a number of things. So on this specifically, uh, I think we need to be, number one, extremely clear through the proper channels with the Chinese government and with the embassy here and that there are uh, proper ways uh, to, uh, to engage us on, on security issues. And that should be done through official channels only. Uh, and anything that's unofficial um, and that is done to coerce or to harass um, or to convince, uh, you know, Canadian residents or citizens, um, you know, to either do certain things on behalf of the Chinese state or to return to China uh, due to other pressures um, is illegal and won't be tolerated. So I think that's uh, that's the first point. More broadly on dealing with China, I think we need to wake up on a range of different issues. And you'll recently see our, uh, our Minister of, of uh, Innovation went down to the United States and said that decoupling uh, of the economies is something that absolutely is in our interest. So I think we're going to have to reduce our vulnerabilities. Uh, even though China is, a, is an important economic market, we're going to have to realize that they've used their market coercively um, whenever they're not happy. And they, they've done that to Canadians. Um, the worst uh, example, obviously, is the detention of our citizens. Uh, but we've also seen this to our farmers, uh, farmers of canola, of pork and, and, and other products where China has effectively coercively shut these down uh, because they weren't happy with us politically. So I think we have to keep all of that into account. We do. Look at how look at how many lessons we're learning and they're coming home. They're coming home to roost. You know, as Russia invades Ukraine, the world is looking and saying, hey, maybe it does matter who we do business with on things that we desperately need and it can be weaponized. And as you say, you know, the ties and the needs that we have with China. But it is difficult. It's so much a part of consumerism here in Canada. Yeah, and again, these choices are going to be difficult. You know, we're you know, look, we're coming out of a pandemic, um, which we're still uh, going through. We're coming, we're stepping into the beginning stages of a very serious economic um, recession that could even turn into a depression. Uh, there are no easy choices, but the reality is, uh, long term, sometimes you have to take the bad medicine uh, in order to prevent 
the crises of tomorrow. And I think, you know, you mentioned rightly that right now we're in a crisis in Europe with, with Russia's illegal war. Uh, the crisis of tomorrow uh, could very well be in the Indo-Pacific um, and a uh, provocation from China. So it's better to be prepared now um, rather than um, get to the situation that in 10, 20 years, we're, uh, we're completely interconnected with China on so many issues. Uh, and we realize that we're held hostage like many European states are now held hostage um, with Russia's war. We do. And final quick question. Has that war in Russia changed the feeling and the urgency of these things? I think it has in some quarters and it hasn't in others. I mean, I think, unfortunately, Canada still often rests on its laurels. And, um, you know, we may be a prisoner, and a positive prisoner to our geography and the fact that we, you know, we have the United States as our only uh, real border other than oceans. Um, and that sort of provides us a comfort blanket. But the reality, I think, of, of Russia's war in Ukraine, and we're, you know, we're seeing this on, uh, on the role of China, too, is that we're not immune to these challenges. We may think that geography protects us, but uh, we're, we're inter intricately uh, interconnected with all of these challenges, and, and these pressures will come down on our head as well. So I think we need to get out of that lap of luxury and really realize and, and make uh, contingency plans immediately. Jonathan Berkshire Miller, Director and Senior Fellow of the Indo-Pacific Program at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Jonathan, have a great night. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you, Arlene. It's always a pleasure. All right. Cheers. I'm Arlene Bynum. This is On Point.